If you would, take your Bible, go to two passages of Scripture, Judges or Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. And I want to read a verse uh, here from Joshua, the end of the end of the book of Joshua. And then if you would go to the end of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21 and verse uh, 25, Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. It says in Judges 21 and verse 25, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. In Joshua chapter 24 and uh, verse, uh, verse 25, it, it, this, or verse 15, it says this, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, boy, I think of Joshua calling the people one generation and the generation to follow to say, choose you this day whom you will serve. Who will you serve? The God who brought you out of Egypt or the gods of these folks in whose land God has brought you? These folks were supposed to drive, that you're supposed to drive out. Choose this day whom ye will serve. And what a sad commentary when you go to the end of the book of Judges and you see that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Talk about a sad commentary. Someone, somewhere, made a choice. And the choice was no longer to serve God, but really to, to serve, do what was right in their own eyes and ended up serving the gods of, the, of those in the land that God had sent to drive out. It's an incredibly sad story. And uh, really, it's a reminder thing. You know, the Bible doesn't say at the end of Judges that every man did that which was wrong in his own eyes. It said every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It wasn't that, now some of them did willfully walk out and do wrong, but wrong in the eyes of God, but in their own eyes, they thought they were doing right. And what a commentary on the difference between what we think is right and what God thinks is right. It would say over and over again through the book of Judges, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. I, I tell you what, if, if you're doing what is right in your eyes and not in God's eyes, you will end up in evil. It is the inevitable conclusion. And I think of the, the great importance of having the Word of God. You know, if you don't have the Word of God, you've got an opinion. And we're to build our life, we're to stand upon the promises of God's Word. And, and, and I would challenge you this, for every position you hold and every decision that you make in life, to search the scriptures. And where, the, where we find ourselves going off our own opinion, the danger is we're doing that which is right in our own eyes. And the commentary of judges is that man began to do which was right in their own eyes, and they ended up not even serving the God who called them. It's a sad aftermath of the book of Joshua. Joshua is filled with victories and, and triumphs and cheers of victories that God gave them, but judges... Judges sometimes is a hard book to read, and uh, sometimes you're in the middle of Judges. I, I think there's a story to the end of Judges. If you want to read it, you can read it later, but talk about a sad story. I, you scratch your head sometimes at the things that are there and how someone arrives there, but some depravity there at the end of the book of Judges, and how man ended up there was they decided to do that which was right in their own eyes. But it's a back and forth. It's, it's a back and forth between 
doing what, you, what was right in their own eyes and falling into bondage and slavery and uh, crying out to God and God sending to deliver and then they're serving God again and then they forget about God again and they go back into bondage and slavery. I think it's about seven times you'll find a, a cycle of six or seven times in the book of Judges where the people just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it's hard to wrap your mind around how it can happen until you look in the rearview mirror of our own life. Isn't that true? Until we look in the rearview mirror of our own life. And uh, you look in the rearview mirror and then you look at that back and you say, oh, I see where I did that which was right in my own eyes. And look where it got me. And Judges is just a reminder of that, of, of poor choices. But not only poor choices, but it's a picture of the grace of God. As you read through the book of Judges, and I don't know about you, but, but if you read the Old Testament and the stories of God's people... The long-suffering nature of the Lord has to stand out. I'd have been done a long time ago if I were the Lord. I, uh, whether it's coming through the, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and uh, then Joshua, and then the book of Judges, and then the kings come along, and, and over and over again, the, the complete cycle that goes from, really from the people of coming out of Egypt through the promised land under the kings of, of Israel, and you wonder, why do these people not get it? And it's a picture of the long-suffering nature of God, isn't it? And I'm thankful for his long-suffering. Judges is just that, that picture of, of poor choices, but at the same time, the grace of God. The grace of God in, in, in what he does. The writer of it is, is more than likely Samuel. The text doesn't necessarily say, but it was written more than likely. If you were to study out some of the references there underneath the writer, you would see it. It probably originated during the time of the monarchy, early in maybe Saul's reign. And uh, when it was written, probably Samuel that was, was there. It, it was a look back upon the people. If you remember that last chapter when it says there was no king and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So it was a look backward from the time of the kings to the time of the judges, and uh, more than likely Samuel being the author of it, or well not the author, the pen if you will, Holy Spirit was the author, but more than likely Samuel as he would record some of those things that, that happened in the past and God would use him. The purpose of the book of Judges from a historical perspective, it chronicles the, na the nation's journey from the demise of Joshua to the emergence of Samuel marking the transition from the era of, era of the judges to that of the prophets. It serves as a bridge spanning the gap between Joshua's leadership and the establish of the monarchy. Uh, and you see that, that time of transition. Unfortunately, unlike the time when Moses handed the reign off or the leadership of Israel off to Joshua, Joshua didn't have anybody to hand it off uh, to. And Judges begins to show that absence of spiritual leadership in a people who failed to follow their God. And as a result, uh, the sin that would follow. Morally, it's a period that, that shows it profound decline among the people. It was turning away from the Lord. Every man did that which was right in his own eye. It should have been a time marked by advancement for Israel and more conquering, and yet it's a sad, sad picture of failure, isn't it? Uh, when you read, I, I won't go into it, but there's an, there's an incredibly sad story at the end of Book of Judges, and it's a very gruesome story about a man and his concubine and what happens to her. It reminds you of Sodom and Gomorrah and, and Lot and all that, and he cuts her up into pieces and ships her away into different corners of Egypt or different corners of, of the nation. It's an incredibly sad story. It almost leads to the wiping out of the whole tribe of Benjamin, almost their complete demise. 
the wickedness that fell. And instead of the book of Judges being more highlights of great victories, and there is victories in the middle of there, but if instead of it being a running line of victory after victory after victory, we see a, a back and forth of God's people from following God to turning away from God to bondage to suffering to the horrible nature of sin. And God reminds us that. It's a, it's a lesson to us. The steps of the nation's downfall are these. The, the nation would serve God. They would do evil. They would forsake God. They followed their own way, and then they were sold into slavery, cried to the Lord, and repented and turned to God. Then judges were raised up to deliver them, and then a nation, they would go back to serve God, and they would do that probably at least six or seven times, about seven times, I believe, in the book of Judges, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, there's an outline I'll let you take note of later if, you, if you'd like. But if you go to the Judges chapter 2, and I'd like to look here in Judges chapter 2, and, and we'll read some scripture here. And uh, Poor choices in God's grace, and I'll let you look at that outline some more later. But just look at Judges chapter 2 with me, because I, I think you find in this chapter a summary of what would happen to the people of Israel. And really, it's a lesson for you and I today. It says in Judges chapter 2 and verse 1, and the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man into his own into his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in, in timnath Heris in the mountain of Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served ba uh, Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods and the gods of the people and that were round about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies." Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them, and they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised him up judges, then the Lord was with the judges and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judges. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge, judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers. 
and following other gods to serve them and to bow down unto them. They cease not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Over and over again, back and forth, back and forth. Poor choices. The first thing you see is, letter A, is there was a choice given. There was a choice given. One of the themes of this book is defeat, disappointment, and deliverance. God had given them a choice, and they continually made the wrong choice. Again, that verse in Joshua 24, 15, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorite in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There was a choice made, wasn't there? There was a choice offered. I'm glad that God is the God of choice, aren't you? Uh, I'm thankful. Choice is, is one of the evidences of his love. You can go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and God put Adam and Eve in a perfect world and, and set them in it, and yet he put one tree in that garden, and he said, just don't eat of that tree. The day that you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. You'll surely be separated from me. And they saw that tree, and they ate of that tree. They made a choice. Uh, as a kid, I'd think, Lord, why would you even put that tree in there? Why even the option to eat of that tree? God wanted man to make a choice. Do you want me or not? You want to worship me? Do you want to follow me? Do you want me or do you not? That was the choice. Love always offers choice, doesn't it? It doesn't force its will upon somebody. It, it offers the choice freely. Uh, I've used the analogy before, but in January 10th of, of 2009, I, I asked my, or two, I, well, we got married, but J December 24th of 2008, nope, 2007. Good thing my wife's not here. All right, 2007, in, in a park in Terre Haute with the Christmas lights on, I asked my wife, Would you, will you marry me? And obviously I'm here tonight and she's watching live stream and I'll be in trouble when I get home. But she did say yes, all right, after she told me to shut up, all right. And uh, she said, shut up, shut up, hit me on the chest. And then finally she said yes, all right, and, uh, and we're married. But I didn't, have, I didn't have a rope in my pocket just in case she said no, right? I didn't have it. Now you'd have thought, well, preacher, you should have been expecting the no, all right? And, but she, I didn't. I, I couldn't force. I, I was asking her, and will you marry? I, mean, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I, I want to go through life with you. I, I want to have a family with you. Will you spend the rest of your life with me? And it was a choice. I love you. Will you go through life with me? The Lord offers choice, doesn't he? Adam and Eve, I love you. I want to spend all of eternity walking with you in the cool of the day. Will you? Here's the tree. They, they, they ate of the tree. They got the opposite of everything God was, right? He is the resurrection and life. They took of the tree and death entered this world. He was holy and they ate of the tree and sin entered into this world. He is joy and heartache entered into this world. You can really take at that moment everything that is the opposite of God and that is what they found. And we've seen it run rampant through society. The nature of choosing, not choosing God, is to choose the opposite of God. Never think that when you choose the opposite of God, you're choosing joy, you're choosing heartache. Because that is the opposite of God. They chose wrong. Joshua would lead the people and, and would come to them and say, Choose ye this day whom you will serve. God has given you the offer, has given you the promised land, and uh, he called his people out, and the land is yours to take and to conquer. But he will not force his will upon you. You have a choice. You have a choice. 
to inherit the land and follow him, or you can reject him and turn from him. And, and, and the choice was offered. And I think that the opportunity is still there. It's the choice, isn't it? Matter of fact, one of the primary purposes of the church is to offer this world that choice that God offered. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. It is our job to go into all the world and let them hear the choice that God has offered. Heaven and a relationship with the Lord or you can reject him and live without him. He will not force himself upon you. It is your choice. Choice. And we see in the book of Judges, God offering them a choice. And we see the, the choice that, that was made. It was over and over again to many times to turn away. You know what catches me? Look at chapter 1 here in Judges and, and look at, and see what you see here in Judges chapter, Judges chapter 1 and um, verse 27. It says in verse 27, just the first part of the verse, Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of of Bethshean. Now, if you would go down to verse 29, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. Now, if you would go down to verse 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants. Go down to verse 33, neither did Nephtali drive out the inhabitants. You can go through this chapter, this first chapter, and it reaccounts this fact, and even earlier in the chapter, that the people of Israel never completely drove out, even under Joshua and the elders before. The, 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 all of the Canaanites that were there. Joshua didn't do it. His generation didn't do it. And you know what they, they had is they had, a, they had a partial, they had a partial obedience to the Lord. They failed him. The Lord told them, don't make a league with anybody. And, and Joshua's and the leaders of Israel failed to pray. They made a league with the Gibeonites. Lord told them to drive them all out, and they failed to drive them out. The coast there, they didn't drive out everyone along there, and the Philistines and all of those would haunt them for the rest of their days. They, they didn't drive out the pockets of paganism there, and because of that, the children of Israel would always struggle with the gods of Ashtaroth and Balaam, and they had a partial obedience to the Lord. The first generation, even the generation that followed God, only partially obeyed Him. The second generation... Completely forsook him. The first generation failed in only partial obedience. The second generation forsook him. Matter of fact, it began with forgetting him. Look at verse, verse 10. It says, And also all that generation which gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. They knew him not. They forgot about him. You go up to earlier part, you see that partial obedience again in Josh. Look at, look at the result of the first generation in the land of promise. It says in verse 1, The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And ye shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. Ye shall throw down their altars, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voice and wept. And they called the name of, of that place Bochum, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. It means the weeper. That, that name means the weeper. It was a place of weeping. It was a place when the first generation realized 
they failed the generation to come. That's the moment. The Lord confronts them and said, I told you to take all the land. I told you to take it all. I told you to run them all out. I told you to turn them down their altars. You made a league and you didn't turn down all their, tear down all their altars. And it was that moment that the one generation realized they had failed the next. And they wept. They wept. Partial obedience leads to destruction, friend. Partial obedience. The first generation partially obeyed. The next generation, if you look at verse 11, it, they forgot him. And as a result of forsaking him, and it, it would say they are forgetting him in verse 11, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam in verse 12, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt. They, they, one generation failed him in obedience. The next one forgot about him and forsook the Lord. They turned away from him. It's incredible. I, I think of this as a parent. Talk about a sobering passage of Scripture. Seth Han, you better walk in obedience to the Lord. Partial obedience is insufficient. It is insufficient. There's a call to complete obedience. No half measures with God and no negotiating with sin, but to follow him completely. And one generation failed. They didn't pass it on. The next generation forgot. And then they forsook. They turned away from him. And look what followed next. It said not only did they forsake him, they turned from him. It says, and followed, verse again, verse, or verse 12 again, and they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods of the gods of the people that were around about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord God to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtoreth. Here they, we find not only did they forget him and not only did they forsake him, but they turned away and they followed false gods. Look, everybody's following something. Everybody's following something. And when we turn from God, we turn to something else. And in their, in their desire to do what was right in their own eyes, what ended up being right in their own eyes was, eyes was Baal and Ashtoreth and the paganism of the land. It's horrible. Uh, and it was a horrible, there was a choice that God offered them and God had given Joshua and, and unfortunately Joshua's generation and there failed in complete obedience to the Lord. And there is a call for the grace of God, isn't it? God, by grace, let me walk in obedience to the Lord. But there's a warning to you and I as a Christian. Partial obedience is insufficient. Matter of fact, as I would tell my children, partial obedience is disobedience. That's the way the Lord saw it. Partial obedience is disobedience. You disobeyed me. And one generation disobeyed, and the next generation for, forgot him, forsook him, and follow the gods of the land in which they were in. It's a sad, sad story. The consequences they received. Look at verse 14. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he delivered them into the hands of the spoilers that spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. 
Now let's skip down to verse 19. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them. And to bow down unto them, they ceased not from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because of that, because of this people hath transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any, any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them they may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. They, they faced a constant ongoing battle as a result of their decision. From generation to generation, battle after battle, the consequences. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And that one's New Testament, isn't it? Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's New Testament, friend consequences, the, the consequences of their sin and the consequences of their decision. It was a very poor choice that they made as they entered into the land and a decision to disobey God through only a partial obedience to the Lord and a decision to forsake the Lord and to follow the gods of the land. And it brought about the chastening hand of God to the point that God said, you know what, I'm never going to remove all of these nations. I'm going to let them be there to prove you who are you going to follow me or the gods of this land. They would follow them. Sin that followed them and followed them and followed them. Sin has awful consequences in our life. I think of the scripture where it says in Ephesians 4 and verse 27, I believe, neither give place to the who? The devil. Don't give him an inch. Don't give him an inch. The consequences. And judges, as you read through this book of Judges, it's a there's a lot of sadness in the book of Judges, a lot of hardship. But then we see the compassion of the Lord as well in this chapter. We see the compassion of the Lord in this book. Verse 16, Nevertheless, nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet they would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a-whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. And they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in obeying the commandment of the Lord, but they did not so. And when the Lord raised them up judges, when the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. In spite of their turning, when they repented, God showed grace and compassion. Judges 3 and verse 12, you go over another chapter, it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And Lord strengthened Eglon, my son's favorite story in the Bible, strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of the palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed, and by him the children of Israel sent to present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. Must have been Christmas time, all right. Not quite, it's a little early, all right. But he sent a present by way, and he was a left-handed man. I like that, as a left-handed man. I'm a right-handed man, but I like the Bible highlights that, right? And Ehud would bring a present, he'd bring a present, he'd go in secret to see Eglon, said, I have a message for you, and Eglon would set them all out, and he'd pull out his dagger they didn't find and run it into the house. 
And the Bible talks about the flat fat closed of it, all around it, and the dirt came out. That's why it's my son's favorite story, all right? It's a gross story, and he likes it, all right? And, but they, the king was, the, the old Eglon died that day, and God gave Israel another great victory. And as much as we see the defeat of God's people on occasion, we also see the compassion and grace of God over and over again. Seven times in this book, we find people going into bondage, but we also find seven times God bringing them out when they repented, when they got right. We would see a people that would choose to bring up their own king and Saul, and yet God would bring along a David. We would see God's deliverance over and over and over again as a people, people waffled back and forth between a holy God and a sinful world, and yet over and over and over again, God demonstrates his love and his grace and his mercy. That even as we walk through the muck and mire of the consequences of our sin, we find a gracious God who walks with us through it all. Though even though he would say to David, the sword will not leave thy house, God did not leave David. Isn't that incredible? Lord, after David sinned with Bathsheba, the Lord said, the sword will never leave thy home, and surely never did. From, from, Ab, from, uh, from Amnon and Absalom and all the stories throughout the sword, never left David's house. But God still said of David, he's a man after my own heart. God never left David because of his repentance. I am thankful for a gracious God that even when we face the trials of this life brought on by the sin of our own choice, that there is a gracious God who brings us through. And that is an incredible story in the book of Judges. It is a sad story, and it's a warning for every Christian today because as much as we would like to look at the people of Israel in the book of Judges and say, what is wrong with you? If you look long enough in the mirror, you'll see a lot of them in you. A back and forth on God. A back and forth on Him. But the reality is that my God is still gracious. He is still gracious. And He still brings people out, and He still brings people through. When they cry unto Him. They cry unto Him. God heard the cry of a people in bondage because of their own sin, their own mess. You know, sometimes we go through trials of life that are beyond our choice, aren't they? God lets them into our life to try us. Uh, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Sometimes God sends them in our way, doesn't he, to, to grow us spiritually in our life. The book of John tells us that the Lord in John chapter 15, he prunes the fruitful tree and the unfruitful tree. Sometimes God takes us when we're doing well for us, and he, and he prunes us up, and it's a painful process, but it grows us. And then we read Hebrews chapter 12, where it is God chastens those whom he loves. God chastens him. But even in the chastening hand of God, we find the mercy of God. Do you know God always chastens out of mercy? Let me ask you this. Why do you change your, chasten your children? Do you chasten them out of wrath or love? It's love. If my child runs towards the road head on, and I say stop, and he doesn't stop, I'm going to give him a good reason. Now, the first time, I might explain to him, son, that's a busy road there. And there's cars that come along there. And if you don't want to be pothole filler, you don't do that, right? But if that doesn't teach him something, I'm going to at least let him recognize if you run in the road and disobey my voice, it's going to cost you. Matter of fact, you might hope for a car at that moment, all right? No, it's going to cost you, right? 
Not because of wrath, is it? It's because of love. I don't want them to face that consequence. I don't want them to face the consequence of what happens if they do that. Well, I think of the command to obey a parent. In Ephesians chapter uh, in Ephesians chapter 6, when the Lord says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, it says about that command, for this is the first commandment with promise. And if you go back to the Old Testament and read in Exodus and you read the, the Ten Commandments, you'll find the first of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise is the command to honor and obey your parents. And you know why? It says that thy days may be what? Long upon the earth. It's the first commandment of, it's the first of those commandments that came with the promise. There is a blessing for God if you follow me and obey me. It, it would be horrible for me to, to allow my kids to disobey me. You know that, parent? You are doing your child a disservice if you let them disobey you. You are robbing from them the blessings of God. No wonder the world likes its um, timeouts. It's the world's view. A compassionate view is I'm going to chasten you because I love you and I want you to experience the blessings of God on your life. I want you to have them. And out of love, I chasten. Can I tell you something? God chastens us out of love. You know what Eglon's, as he would take the people of Israel and throw them into bondage and make them serve them, do you know why God let it happen? It wasn't just his wrath. I love these people too much to let them do that. So I am going to chasten them. And they would cry out, and he would say, ah, I've got their attention. Here's a deliverer. Time after time after time after time. The story of our life, that you can look back and say, I'm thankful for the gracious hand of God and his blessings. But I'm also thankful for the gracious hand of God in his chastening. Because in his love, he chastened me. And he kept me from the consequences. What would have happened if he did not? Judges reminds us of that gracious hand of God. And of his grace that runs through this book. And as you read the poor choices of Israel... And the chastening hand of God, friend, it is not a story of wrath. It is a story of love. That God would love a people that would repeatedly turn to them, and yet in his long-suffering nature, he would continually pull them back. The blessing of the Christian life, the Lord chasteneth whom he loves, doesn't he? Says that in Hebrews chapter 12, chasing. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you're not chastened, you're not, I'll paraphrase it, but if you don't, if you're not chastened by the Lord, you're not his own, right? The only chasing is his own. I don't go around chasing in other kids, right? They're not mine, all right? But mine, I got five of them. They need a lot of chastening, all right? <laughs> yeah, no, they're good. They're pretty good, but not all that good. They're too much like their dad in them, all right? But 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 the reality is, it is love that drives the hand of God in our Judges, a story of poor choices and the grace of God. And the grace of God. I'm thankful for the grace of God in my life. And there is a call for this, Christian. If you've got partial obedience in your life, it's really full disobedience. And don't think of it as a small matter. It is not. It is no small matter. Because one generation had partial obedience, which was full disobedience. 
and the next one <laughs> forsook him. And friend, that can unfold in one generation or it can spread it out. Or it can spread it out. Following generation for, for, forgot about him. One of my prayers for my children, I'm going to be finished, is that in that verse there in, in, second, in chapter 2, it says they didn't, hadn't seen the works of the Lord. One of my prayers is that my children, as they grow up, not only would I be able to teach them the works of God, the word of God, but they would see the work of the Lord. I want to see them see folks come to know Christ, walk down an aisle and get baptized. I want to see them watch as God blesses a ministry and blesses people as they serve him and follow him. I want them to turn the pages of Scripture and, and read from the Word of God and have God speak to their heart individually. I want them to see God. And you know, there's, and not just see the, the creed, the doctrinal statement. You can turn from a doctrinal statement, can't you? But a relationship is difficult. We see that all the time because many times folks turn from a doctrinal belief in the pursuit of relationships the wrong backward way. We're not supposed to be turning towards relationships in this world contrary to the doctrines of God's word. God's word is most important and your relationship with him. However, I want them to see not just a statement of faith, but a walk of faith and a God who works. And I would challenge you this Christian, we're about ready to hit a new year. You ought to be asking God, let your work be seen in my life to my family. I don't want to bring up a generation that hasn't seen the miracles of God. I want to bring up a generation that has seen God at work in their life. There was one who knew not God nor his miracles, and they forsook him, and they followed the things they could see, some idol, Baal, Ashtaroth, some physical idol. They forsook the unseen God of heaven, and they followed what they could see in this world. And the danger for you and I is that we would forsake the God that we cannot see for the gods in this world that we can. And our job is to point them to the one they cannot see. Because one day, faith will become sight. It will become sight. This book, Poor Choices and Yet the Grace of God. I could say that I could look in my life, different stories than that. Thankfully, there's no bales in there, all right? But poor choices. But also, the grace of God. When you find yourself in the middle of a poor choice, turn, Christian, to the grace of God. Because it's new every morning. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you and I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love for us. Thank you for this book of the Bible. Sometimes we read it in such stories, Lord, that remind us of how serious sin is and how far it can take a man. Sometimes mind-boggling the things we read that people will do in the, in the history and the past, and not just the people of the world, but the people of God. How they could offer their children to idols and the wickedness that would unfold, but that's the course of doing what is right in our own eyes. I pray that wouldn't be our course tonight. Lord, if we've set ourselves on a path of doing that which is right in our own eyes or, or partial obedience, if we've put, in our, put on ourselves a for, for forgetting what you've done in our life or forsaking the things of God, I pray that we would correct course tonight 
certainly when it comes to the raising of our families, Lord, that we would seek to let them see God. Not only to learn the truths of God's Word and the doctrines of God's Word, but to see the work of God through us, Lord, all around them. Think of those young ones up at Master Club, our youth over in the youth house. Lord, we desire that they would see a work of God. Lord, I pray that you would do with that in our lives, that they might have a desire to serve the same God that we serve. Lord, I love you, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. You stand with me tonight, and let me just ask a simple question. First of all, it's Wednesday night, but let me ask you, do you know the Lord? Do you know him personally? Could you say, preacher, I know that I'm saved, and I can give you a Bible reason why I'm on my way to heaven. That's my testimony. Would you raise your hand? You say, preacher, I know, I know the Lord. Thank you, me. put your hand down. Is there anybody that say, preacher, I'm unsure about that. I'm unsure about the, whether I have a relationship with him or not, or home in heaven, but I'd like to make sure of that this evening. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Is anybody like that here tonight? Let me ask you then, Christian, how many of you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart this evening. He's spoken to my heart uh, through some course of the message. Maybe it was this matter of the choice to be made or walking in obedience to him. But you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. If that's your testimony, you raise your hand. As, as the pianist begins to play, the invitation is given, the altar's open, and boy, as God has spoken, respond. I an opportunity to pray, an opportunity to spend time with your Lord. And I don't believe, I, don't let a moment of God speaking go without a, a humbling yourself before him. But as God has touched your heart, do business with the Lord.